Clay Young and John Fabry back again for Infinity of Baton Rouge and Infinity of Lafayette. John, we talk about certified pre-owned all the time. What does that mean to be certified pre-owned? Well, to someone that's looking at a, it's it's a pre-owned Infinity that has factory warranty remaining. Okay. Once we recondition it to the factory specs, Infinity will actually extend the warranty all the way out to a hundred thousand miles. Okay. So you're in a lot of cases you're buying a pre-owned car, one, two, three years old, with more warranty than a brand new car. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they're as close to new as you can get, but they're thousands less. And you know, people have this perception of pre-owned cars as having right. a higher interest rate. Right. You can actually get rates as low as point nine. That on is something nine on used? a certified pre-owned car certified is a notch above yeah used yeah yeah again hundred thousand mile warranties perfect condition come check them out infinity of baton rouge and infinity of lafayette welcome to the clay young show welcome to the clay young show here on podcast 225.com and on itunes i have a treat for you this week This guy's been a friend of mine for over 10 years. He's a fellow uh, advertiser, brainiac, marketer. I like to say that advertisers are the voice and the message of America. Because generally speaking, when people have something to sell or something to draw people to, we are often the ones who help them find their voice and then effectively voice their message, dude. David Day is here yeah, with us now. Like and uh, Will you like nice. that? Is that pretty good? That's good. I like that. David is the owner of The Day Group, a marketing firm here in Baton Rouge. And he has, is also, you've done some radio before. When did you yeah. do radio? In college yeah, or in actually, high school? Where, I started where? in high school. WBRH. Yeah. WBRH. WBRH. That's right. I was a staffer from my sophomore year forward. So three years on staff at BRH. And so you can do a... Um, a smooth jazz kind of delivery to something. Yeah, but you know, here's the thing: when I was there, it was uh, only smooth jazz during the day, and then three o'clock when the school bell rang, yeah, it was album-oriented <laughs> rock, baby. It was it was the good stuff. I mean, I still like smooth jazz and everything, but I am no jazz aficionado, and I'm certainly no uh, <clears throat> announcer anymore. I've lost my voice after years of car commercials. Yeah, but, really, right? But uh, yeah, the AOR stuff was more my. My thing, and what's funny is you talk to any of the staffers that are still around. That I, you know, Wendell Tilly, Rob Payer, those guys, they will tell you that I was the most top forty AOR guy they have ever met. That's is that right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Rob yeah. has been there forever. Yeah, he's a director now. At really? Is yeah. he really? Yeah, he runs the place. Wow. I walked wow. in not long ago. I had a meeting at Baton Rouge High, and I said, I'm just going to sneak upstairs and check it out. And uh, How I is saw it? I saw it under construction. But I yeah. hadn't seen it occupied. It is, it is probably the nicest radio station in Baton wow. Rouge, and you know radio yeah. stations. It's yeah. the, probably the nicest in Baton Rouge with more space, more options, and more state of the art equipment than I've seen. Radio's come anywhere. a long way from vinyl to <clears throat> CDs. Boy. So actually, eight tracks too, because the, the commercials yeah. were on eight. You know, eight track and yeah. uh, carted up, carted up. It up. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You had to have the magnet to get the uh, audio off of it, and you're scrubbing it over the top of something, and then CDs, of course, of the discs were scratched. Right. And you heard a song scratching on the radio. It was because somebody mishandled That's right. a CD. That's right. I had, a, I had a really great treat. You know, uh, Bob Murphy, yeah. Murphy, Sam yeah. and Jody, yeah. 96.1 The River. Yeah. Um, he was a fellow staffer. Yeah. And, uh, and he came by the office the other day and just visited. And we talked about business stuff. But uh, about 90% of our conversation was throwback. You know, just <laughs> That's uh, right. That's right. You know, back in the day. But we were both reminiscing about how much those days really have contributed to our current careers. Absolutely. Of course, for him. I mean, yeah. you know, look at it. Well, he's basically Mr. running, running iHeartRadio here now. He, yeah, yeah, he is. And, and he's, uh, you know, he's a celebrity in his own right. And, uh, he is. And so, you know, that's, that's been that's been Bob's good him. people. <clears throat> yeah. You know, so what was the, what was the weirdest, not weirdest, because I, I have a story, but I, I want to ask you. One of those memories about back in the day, antiquated radio that when you look at now, you can laugh about. But at the time, it wasn't so funny. Ah, wow. At the time, it wasn't so funny. Um, 
Yeah, they were all pretty scary. I can prompt you with one because <clears throat> okay, I think about this all the time. Fine. I've got one in mind. I don't know if I can. Yeah, this is a podcast. It's a podcast. You, absolutely, <laughs> you can. And we like those stories. <laughs> Come on, brother. You're in the right place. Yeah, yeah. So so it was Bluebell, which Bluebell is in all kinds of trouble right now. I right, think they're finding sure. like Bigfoot toes or something in the ice cream oh, now or yeah, something. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a new flavor. Bigfoot, Bigfoot toes. Bigfoot I toe. think so, too. Yeah. I think it's green. Right. Yeah. So... We used to get Bluebell commercials on a, a tape, on a reel, right? Yeah. And there were like 10 Bluebell commercials. No, yeah. I'm sorry. There, were, there was one Blue, Bluebell commercial and about 10 or 15 tags. So what happened was you had to put them all on a cart. So the spot would play. Yeah. And then you would read from the paper... Uh, the, Blue, Blue the, Bell ice cream uh, look at Calandro's supermarket. The tag, you know? the tag, the tag for that hour at the end. Yeah. So you <laughs> always knew when someone was cutting a Blue Bell ad because if they screwed the tag up, you had to start the whole thing over again. Oh. So great. if you were on number seven and you got the tag wrong, you just what the hell. Now you hear somebody screaming from the other side of the building, Bluebell ad. And so when it when everything went digital, you didn't have to do that because yeah. you could just splice it in digitally. Right. But right. man, I, I used to hate the Bluebell carts because, you know, on air talent, you often had to put your voice on commercials. Oh, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And generally speaking, there were times that people requested certain people to be on spots. Right. So antiquated equipment made it very hard back in the day. Oh, yeah. yeah. So what's your story? Oh, I've got a couple of really great stories. Um Probably, probably my favorite story was uh, has to do with um, late nights because uh, the station would. At, I, I've forgotten it when it was. John Dobbs was our teacher, and uh, John's a great guy. He's still with us. He was just named uh, um, Hall of Fame of Baton Rouge High Teachers. Yeah, great guy. Uh, he was our teacher, and he he would allow us a lot of freedom, at which the Baton Rouge High staff and faculty always did, and we earned it and we we kept it, and I was very proud of that. But. Um, Still am. Can you see? Can you? Tell? Yeah, yeah, um, just a little. But we, uh, we, we did. I think we were on till midnight, and then we stretched it out to two a.m. And then, at some point, I think on the weekends we may have gone twenty-four hours. I don't remember exactly, but during those uh, late nights, um, after about ten o'clock, we'd lock the door. We'd play pretty much whatever music we wanted to play. Right. We'd take a few calls and yeah. stuff like that. You know, maybe have a couple of friends over. Friends would bring a couple of things with them. Oh yeah. And, you know, before you know it, I was pretty darn good. I became a cigar and wine aficionado <laughs> at age 17. <laughs> John Kaczynski would teach me how to properly right. light, prep, and light absolutely, a cigar. Absolutely, absolutely. A nice yeah. Monte Cristo with your mom. That's, That's it. Right. Yeah, it was, uh, I was all of the age 17. I was uh, wearing a smoking jacket by the time <laughs> I graduated. <laughs> Those were some fun days, yeah. It's like, it's, um, it's so yeah. much... A lot of that's gone, though, you know? Yeah. Oh, and then there were the times when you would forget to pot down one song on the turntable, oh. and the other one would kick in. You'd play the, yeah. you'd be playing two songs at once. Or forget to and, turn the mic off. Or forget, yeah, and I didn't go, forget that yeah, too often, because there are too many lights to tell me you're screwed man, up. But when yeah. you got both records playing at once, and here's the thing, like I, I, I mentioned, I was really a very top 40 oriented guy. Yeah. I was just milk and milk toast kind of guy. Um, I couldn't tell the difference half the time when, <laughs> when two songs are playing at the same time. I'd so you discovered grunge, in, in, these, in other words. Yeah, I get these phone calls. You, Dude, you got two songs playing at one time. And I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks, man. You know, pot it down. Pot it down, you know. Yeah, just yeah. never heard this song, man. That's a really cool tune, dude. It's like you got two songs playing, but it sounds awesome. You invented something new. I'm like, hey, Spicoli's on the line here. That's exactly yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> so Those are fun days. Getting into the, uh, the ad agency business, what got you started? Probably my days at uh, BRH because I got used to broadcasting. Mm -hmm. I got used to being, you know, we did, we did a news stint. You know, everybody had to pull news. Right. We uh, had the AP wire. We just, you know, pulled and ran stories and stuff like that. So um, I got used to doing that, and I really enjoyed um, the microphone. I really enjoyed um, being able to create something out of nothing. It yeah. was just my way of doing it rather than on Canvas. I did it with voice or with uh, other accoutrements. 
as the, as you say, as you may say. But um, I like that word, uh, yeah. accoutrement. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, that's. I don't so know if we can work it, it in about ten more times yeah. before we're done. That's a word you see a lot of times, and a lot of times, in, you know, LA four fifteen at some of those shops they have. But, um, <laughs> but I never Somebody, go there. Somebody's going to get there. that joke. Somebody's going to get that joke on the way home. I never go there. <laughs> and then somebody's going to say, "What? <laughs> never mind." Adult doesn't always mean over eighteen. <laughs> that's just exactly you know. right. Um, yeah. So um, <laughs> the accoutrement. Uh, Along with what were we talking about? I don't know. Uh, I'm still trying to get over the 415 <laughs> deal too. <laughs> LA 415. Yeah, that's right. Yes, I have a shop mm-hmm. on LA 415. Yes. Oh, what's her name? Um. So <laughs> the, 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 anytime a building doesn't have windows, you know it's probably a bad thing. That's right. The original brick house. That's so, right. So we uh, uh, got me into to advertising. I was um, I, I really enjoyed the production side. Yeah. Going to create. You know, we were a nonprofit, so you know we were public radio basically, just mm-hmm. with a AOR format. But we would do sponsorships, and we record those spots, as you had mentioned. And I enjoyed doing that. I enjoyed writing them. I enjoyed uh, creating something out of nothing, making them sound cool, adding some sound effects. Um, and then went to LSU and studied broadcast journalism right. at what is now called the Manship School of Mass right. Communications, and uh, graduated from there. But the whole time, I got into television production. Worked in the PR department in uh, electronic media uh, under Charlie Roberts mm-hmm. at LSU, mm-hmm. and then uh, as a student worker, and then um, continued to do traffic reports on the air, flying over the city doing yeah, traffic right. reports. Um, put all that stuff together. Worked at Jimmy Swaggart Ministries, my yeah. very first job yeah, out yeah. of college. Radio uh, station there. <clears throat> the TV. Yeah, TV. Yeah, That's we were right. doing we were doing TV uh, the uh, the overseas telecast. Now, when was this? Let's see, graduated high school 83, graduated LSU 87. So this is about the time that he really had one of the most efficient oh, yeah. television there. operations yeah. in the world. Yeah, Not the absolutely. country, the world. Yeah, He was producing video that was going everywhere, and it's, it was high-quality production back at a time when there wasn't a whole lot of that. There wasn't, and it wasn't done in mass the way we were doing it. Right. We had a lockdown system right. like Swaggart's at the time. Uh, say what you want about the Swaggart ministry or the personality or whatever, but I never some, of the, some of the finest people that yeah. I've ever worked with. Right. Uh, great people. Um, I never really got to know Jimmy Swaggart. Sure. But um, I just felt like the people that worked there were just phenomenal. They taught me a lot. Uh, we had a locked, uh, just a really locked down uh, process. I was a tagging producer, so I would take, um, I would take the the um, uh, videos that uh, Jimmy Swaggart was preaching and doing mm-hmm. his uh, crusades and preaching in foreign countries. You put the backplate on, talking uh, about where to get the uh, where to get it. I do the backplates and uh, where to get it, how to contribute, how to donate, and I also supervise the uh, the translation process. So they would, okay. if something was translated into Portuguese, yeah. then uh, the Portuguese translator would come in. We'd play the video, they would loop it, and then we'd put it down. We put Portuguese language on the tags, and we'd send it out to Brazil, right, for example. Right, so right, right. It, it was uh, it was really. Cool. It was a lot of fun to do. I think that uh, for a lot of people that I know who are in the industry, they started as broadcasters or they they were somewhere around media because multi-level media now is so different. I mean, there was really radio and television and okay newspapers, but now the digital footprint is so large that everything, television, radio, print, all have to loop back to some kind of a digital platform. Yeah, right? that makes sense. Yeah. And, and it's just interesting. So what principles early on did you learn about? Because this is actually, the we, we've talked about the business before, but I've never done something like this, like in a, in a broadcast setting. But what principles early on did you learn about our role or, or, or agencies' roles in working with companies? Yeah, that's a great question. Agencies' roles. You know, um, the the thing that I learned early on, and and a lot of this could be credited to my training at LSU as a as a news person. Mm-hmm. You know, they taught us broadcast journalism, sure, sure. so we we really learned news. Um, uh, Jules Demacourt, if you remember Jules Demacourt, mm-hmm. a, a great Cajun yeah. man, professor yeah. at LSU, yeah. he taught us to get the duck. He said, always get the duck. And what that meant was he had a little uh, a news report that he liked to play for his classes that featured a story about some pond that they were building someplace, right. a little human interest piece, and you could hear the ducks in the background. And he mentioned that a good radio um, story, and you very rarely hear good radio news anymore, right. you know, but a good radio news story is going to, be, is going to bring the, the viewer or the listener, rather, 
into the scene and make them feel like they're actually there, mm-hmm. right? Which is really the job of any good reporter. Theater of the mind. Exactly. So what I learned from that was not only do that, to do that in news, but for my clients, to, to bring them into my customer's world. And the way I do that is by talking to my client and say, listen, you need to not talk about you okay, as yeah. much. It's not about you. Right. It's really about what they like and what right. they're interested in and what Absolutely. they want. What are their hot buttons? Yeah. And so those principles are still things that I talk about with clients every day. You know, I just, I just finished a blog um, at thebrandprofessor.com. Uh, that's thebrandprofessor.com. I uh, just finished writing I don't think I heard you. What was it again? Thebrandprofessor.com. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and and it's, it's called It's Not About You. Yeah. And it basically is that principle that, um, hey, you know what? We're, we're so busy out there advertising, shouting our message yeah. that we forget that people don't care about us. I just had that conversation the meeting before you got here with clients about that, yeah, you know, and then talking about results. Yeah. You only have, don't think because you are buying a 30 second ad or a 60 second ad that you're going to get an entire 60 seconds of someone's attention. Right. You have to set the hook early on and it better be something they care about. Mm hmm. You have to earn it. You have, you to, have earn to earn the earn right it. to be heard. Absolutely. And once <clears throat> you have many ha- choices. Yeah. And when you've heard it, you basically now are, I think our, a big part of our job is driving people to someone's digital platform. Yeah. Because with a website now, Google is, has become kind of a it's a verb. It's not it's it's a thing you do now. It isn't just a site. It's let's right. Google it. Yeah. And so if I hear something that may appeal to me, I'm going to go Google it even so much that Google allows you to advertise there and pick where uh businesses are placed in That's the pecking exactly order. Right. Yeah. Nothing is by accident anymore, folks, right. when you're logging onto a computer. Yeah. The order of businesses on Google doesn't necessarily mean that number one is the best at doing it. It just right. means that they spent the money to be number one. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, as a consumer, you kind of question everything. Yeah. So that makes it even more difficult for somebody advertising because mm-hmm. they know the consumer is is smarter, more and more savvy every day. Uh, the second thing that, I, that I've come to understand, and I don't know where I really picked this up, probably more in my spiritual life than anything else, mm-hmm. is that I encourage my clients to, we, we create advertising as much as possible that is genuine. And yeah. by that, I mean, <clears throat> you know what spin is. Yeah. Um, the Mad Men, you know, series was really good at helping us to see that um, advertising back in the day was really about spin. Mm-hmm. It was really about putting your best foot forward and not letting people see under the skirt. Right. And, uh, and that's not the case anymore. People no. are too smart. Yep. Uh, the public is, uh, they have too many resources. They have too many things to places to go to, to find the truth. And so, um, just like I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't lie in a, in a deposition or an interview, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie in my, in my advertising because nope. I'm going to get found out real quick. And then yep. what's that going to do to my business? So we work very hard with our clients trying to determine what their real truths are, both positive and negative, fix the ones that are negative and build upon the ones that are positive. So I like to tell them that, you know, it's better, it's better to be a great company first and then advertise it. Yeah. So if a client comes to me and says, Hey, I want to advertise. I'm like, good. That's really great. Tell me about your business. <clears throat> I'm kind of the of, same the, way. The first, the first client, the first question a lot of people ask is, "Great, what's your budget?" Right. Well, and I used to do that. Yeah. I mean, I made a decent living doing it. Yeah. But now it's, you know, tell me about your business, and do you really yeah. want to advertise that? Because you told me that that's not going well. Yeah. Why don't we fix that first and then advertise it? I, I kind of see it as we partner with them. Uh, as if they're successful, we're successful, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I generally never start with the numbers. I want to know about you. You are the master at what you do or you should be. And so often I find that people don't necessarily know who their customer is as well as they think they do. Yeah, that's true. Because a lot of times you'll talk to a business owner. This this happens all the time. I talk to a business owner and I ask them about their company and they tell me about their company. They tell me about their business, what they do, how they would define themselves. You know, what do they think their competitive advantage might be? What's the culture? Ask them to give me some, you know, some words that help define the culture of the company. And all that matters when you're building messaging and building a brand. And we're really mostly a branding firm. We Mm -hmm. do promotions as well, but we want to build brands. Mm -hmm. Building brands and build business. So Mm -hmm. um, thebrandprofessor.com. And so (laughs) um, uh, we'll we'll talk to business owners all the time and and discuss um, the the inside reality and the outside perception. Mm -hmm. 
And if you have a company that has a great inside reality but a poor outside perception, your sales are lagging. Right. If you have a company that has a poor inside reality but a great outside perception, your sales may be good but for a very short period of time until people really get it. What you want is a company that has a great inside reality, which is what's happening when nobody else is looking. Right. It's what really goes on. Right. Um, You can ask the CEO, but then you go ask the front desk receptionist. And she or he is going to tell you something very different Mm -hmm. most of the time than what the C-level execs will tell you. I've even had people say, he said that? I've I've had the front desk receptionist say, the boss said that to you? Like, that's who we are? I didn't know. I, I don't know if I would agree with that, you know. And so I begin to interview them, and I find out what the genuine reality is going on inside. So at the day group, what we do is seek to help them to change what needs changing before right. we advertise. So some of our clients are on our client list right now, and they haven't even begun advertising. No. Yeah. And, and some of them are have been advertising for years, and that's the first thing we did. And we're kind of going back to make changes and adjustments all along the way. It's it's I think it's a long term process and you get people who come in and they don't want to they don't want to do that kind of work. I just want to buy some advertising. And I, I met with someone Absolutely. yesterday and I told him, you know, before you start talking about budget, let's talk about your plan, why you want to advertise, who you're advertising to, because, again, you know, Sun Tzu, the art of war, it's it's a great business book. People read it and they, they make they they juxtapose enemy with customer because some of the principles are the same and you have to know who well, it's you're, someone you want to conquer that's right and and conquer in a way that says i want you to win yeah and the best way that i could help you win is to know who you are and what you need so let's first start with what you do because people have patterns i always try i tell people let's try to find the the lifestyle pattern of the people that you are trying to draw into your place yeah what do they listen to what do they watch yeah what part of town are they in? Because we can pretty much assume a lot from them or, or make an educated guess based upon where they are sure. in this town. Right. But you can pull those same demographic identifiers in any city. Right. So then, okay, if your customer is a 50-year-old male who is college-educated uh, working as an attorney, well, in Baton Rouge, he's most likely going to be in a few places if he's if he's doing pretty well. Yeah. And what is he likely to listen to? And it's like I say, let's go to work on who your customer is and then we'll get around to spending money. Right. Because yeah. you if, if you spend money, draw the people and make more money, then you're going to be happy. You keep spending money with me. That makes me happy. That's right. And then we're, we're both winning. Yeah. Uh, I, what do you think about the unscrupulous folks who happen to exist in this industry marketing and public relations because i do have issues with that like i have a principle i've never taken a client i've never taken i always say i never take a client off someone's plate yeah if i find out that you or someone else is working with someone i don't try to poach them now if they come to me that's that's a a whole different story right exactly yeah what do you think about that folks who just who 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 are kind of predatory in the way that they go about doing the job you know we're last month we celebrated 20 years mm-hmm. of the day group. Um, I have learned not to panic. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I've seen highs and lows. Yeah. Um, I've had great years and I've had years that I thought I was going to, you know, this was it. I was going to be done. Yeah. Um, all in all, um, I just keep, I keep going. I keep mm-hmm. chugging away and, um, the reward is there if you do. Um, if I spend a lot of time looking over my shoulder, sure. then I'm going to be distracted from doing what I do best. Sure. Um, that's one thing. Um, in my heart of hearts, I can tell you it's disappointing when other people... I mean, there, there, is, there is a firm out there that has called on my clients numerous times. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, it's almost as if they go to my website and look at the work examples and they just you know, call them. Yep. And maybe they are. I don't know. And it used to make me very upset. Um, but uh, at the end of the day... It's my responsibility to build the relationship with my clients. Oh, I feel. And it's my responsibility to develop and foster customer loyalty with my clients. And if they get a phone call from a competitor and they're interested, that is a problem for me. Yeah. It's not necessarily the other guy's fault. It might be mine. Well, uh, let, let me let me throw this. I, I agree with you there, but let me throw this at you to just push back a little bit. It, it I agree with that 100%. But there is also the impact that has been left on businesses when they get screwed over sure. by people. And yeah. you have to rebuild, which isn't the problem, because I say if you tell the truth, you never have to remember what you said. Right. 
But there is a lot of that where businesses get screwed over. Someone says they're doing something they're not doing. Right. They're not really putting your best interest first. They're buying bulk to get a bigger percentage or more billable hours as opposed to being invested in your success. Right. I never think that way. And I don't care. I always look at every client. I always treat everyone like they're the only one. Yeah. Because I don't like I don't like losing in life, period. I'm 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 a bad, bad loser. Bad loser. Yeah. Not proud of that, but I'm a bad loser. Yeah. But I don't know any good ones. Do you? No, not really. So I know people who can put on a good face. Right. um, You know, as as we say in the athletic world, you got to hate losing more than you love winning. Yeah. And I hate it. So I can't smile when I'm losing. I can't fake it. It hurts like hell. We may not talk for a couple of days, but but it's like instilling trust in people now is so hard Mm -hmm. in this bubblegum marketing where people can say, we can get you 10,000 customers if you do this. And it's like, really? You you bought that? Yeah. Right. So when in the end, it always comes back to the same thing is there's no such thing as a free lunch. Nope. Um, you know, real success comes from hard work, yep. comes from solid principles that are exercised over time, continuously, mm-hmm. a commitment to doing what's right and can doing your can continuing to do your best work day in and day out. And when a client is doing that, they then the agency should be doing that as well for the I client. Agree. And that's a good formula for success. There are times that there, there are days when I've walked into my client's office and they've said sales are down and it's because of the bad advertising you're doing. And then the very next month sales are up and I say, great. So glad to be a part of that. They say, no, the whole market's up. It's not. advertising." <laughs> you know, and I'm like, well, I can't win, you know. Uh, yeah. But this is from a client that stayed with me for 12 years until they got bought by a competitor for a record amount of money. Well, there you go. And so I did my job. You did and, your job. And no matter what they may have thought in the moment, the long term was. I'm not leaving this guy. Yeah. I worked with him for 12 years. That's right. We took him from, we, we increased their business 200%, 300, almost 300% during the 12 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, it wasn't easy to do, but we did it. And It's um, not easy work. And I should have actually negotiated a percentage of the ownership of the company. Yeah, you goofed on that Because I did. I walked away with nothing. And yeah, they, they that's away a shame. Like, I think they sold it for $16 million. Oh, man. A local business. That's, that's horrible. And I got So disappointed nothing. in you. Really? I just, I mean, how, how, how'd you let that another, go? Another lesson learned, man. Accoutrement. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> So uh, talking about you doing the business and and being in it and successful at it and you're good at what you do. I mean, we're close friends and we're actually I I guess we do the same thing. I I don't want to use the word competitors because I think I compete against me every day. I'm sure you you feel the same way. I don't run into your clients a lot. I don't run into you a lot. Yeah. So it's like I'm sure we do a lot of the same. Absolutely. So uh, so let's talk about um, you mentioned it earlier, family, because I want to get into that. Because that's a big part of who you are mm-hmm. and your family, I guess a couple of years ago now. Uh, yeah. A couple three, of years, three years ago. Three years ago. Three years ago. Three years January. So almost three yeah. and a half. Gosh. So three and a half years ago had one of the worst things that can ever happen to a parent. There's only one thing that makes it worse than what you went through. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, let's tell the story. Okay. Um my son at the time was 15 years old, had just turned 15, mm-hmm. and uh, he and a couple of friends were at the Mall of Louisiana, mm-hmm. and um, there was a fight that broke out, and somebody pulled a gun and started yeah. shooting. Uh, my son and his friends were sitting 30 feet, no, uh, 30 yards, yeah, 30 yards, good, good little distance. They were sitting about 30 yards away, not involved in the altercation whatsoever, and, and uh, the shooting started, and my son and one of his friends were, were shot. And it was um, it was quite a challenging ordeal for us. He was uh, he was shot twice. My son was shot twice. Both bullets went through my son into his friend. They were sitting next to each other on a curb, literally waiting for uh, his friend's dad to come pick him up because the mall had closed earlier than they had suspected it would. You know, they were the holiday hours. It closed mm-hmm. at ten. Mm-hmm. They moved mm-hmm. it back to nine o'clock. They thought it was ten. Hey, dad, come get us. The mall just closed. Bang bang. And you know, so my son was shot. He was shot in the arm, and he was shot in the chest. Amazingly enough, he survived. And like you said, the only thing that could have made this worse is if we'd have lost him. Right. Um, but it was a it was a very difficult uh, year for us, and in some ways, it's still difficult. Where were you when you got the phone call? I was at home, sitting on my couch, watching the Saints and the Lions in uh, 
It's a Saturday evening. They're, How bad were the Saints game. losing? They actually weren't losing. They okay. were up, I think, seven to nothing at the That's time. That's an inside yeah. joke. A buddy of mine is yeah. going to get that. Sometimes. Yeah, he's going to get that, yeah. yeah. I'm a 49er fan. Yeah. So, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's a shame. Five Super it's Bowls. Not going to be so, a good year this year. Oh, no, it's going to be. It's oh, no, no. It's, it's going to be horrible. Yeah. Uh, just horrible. So <clears throat> you get this phone call, and what do you hear? What are you told? Uh, actually, the phone call is from a friend of mine, Gary, yeah. and uh, Gary Gilbert, and he says, uh, David, um, listen to me carefully. He said, uh, John just called, and he said that Caleb and Trent were at the mall, and Caleb and Trent have been shot. And you need to go to Baton Rouge General Blue Bonnet right away. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? Say that again? And immediately I started thinking, they're not even, they don't even have a gun. You know, they didn't go hunting. They went to the dang mall to get some pizza or Chick-fil-A or whatever. And um, and and I said, say that again. He said they were at the mall. There was a shooting. And Caleb's been shot. I said, well, what, what happened? And he goes, I don't know. But John said that Caleb was alive when they put him in the ambulance. And that's all he knows. You need to go to Baton Rouge General Blue Bonnet. And so I hung up the phone. And I was already in the bedroom putting on my shoes when I got off the phone. And my wife had followed me in. And. She had that look on her face like, what, 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 what? Because obviously I did. And um, we drove as a family. My, my t- I have twin daughters at the time. Mm-hmm. They were 12. And um, we put them in the van and took off and went to the mall. And I remember every inch of that drive. And um, got there, and um, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't let us in. Basically went to the ER, and they didn't even have him recorded in the system. I said... I need to see my son, Caleb Day, and they, they didn't have him in the system. And the, there was a cop, a security guard, cop, somebody who was in the, um, the reception, you know, at, at the ER check-in. Mm-hmm. He turned around and he said, are you talking about the gunshot wound? And, of course, I, you know, my son. And we're talking about my kid. And I said, yeah, I guess I am. You know, and he said, well, they're trying to get him stabilized. So at that point, my wife and I just almost melted on the floor, like, what do you mean trying to get him stabilized? You know, we really, <clears throat> excuse me, we really didn't know whether he was dead or alive at that point. So uh, we just knelt on the floor right there in the ER as a family, the four of us, and we prayed and we just gave it over to the Lord and said, You're going to get glory from this somehow, some way. If you don't, it's not worth what we're about to go through. So this has to be yours. You have to do this. And um, right at about the time we finished praying, I mean, it was very quick. An orderly had come through the door and asked us to come back. And we said, how is he? And they said they didn't know. They just came to get us. So we walked down this very long corridor all the way to the back to the ER, you know, exam rooms where close to the door where the ambulance lets them in and everything. And uh, um, I looked um, the whole time I'm walking, by the way, I'm thinking, you know, if he's dead, then I have to hold up my wife. I have to instantly shift from dad to husband. And I, I remember distinctly thinking, I have got to, this, this is a lot, you know. Um, I have to put that on hold for a second because my, my wife's going to fall apart, and rightfully so. And so I started thinking about that and <clears throat> how am I going to do that, and I just prayed, just praying the whole way down the hallway, Lord, just you got to take over. And so the orderly made us wait outside the room. We couldn't see. We were too far away to see inside. And he or she, I don't even recall, walked in to the, to the exam room. And we were stood, Sue and I, my wife and I, just stood there waiting. And I just remember looking at her saying, forget this. I'm, I'm going in. And she says, I can't. And I said, I'll be right back. And I walked in. I started walking in. As soon as I got to where I could see through the doorway, but not, I was not inside the... I saw my son, he looked motionless and lifeless. He was staring at the ceiling. His eyes were open. And then for, for one fleeting moment, I thought, oh, no. And then I saw him turn his head and talk to the nurse. And it was like a giant weight lifted off my chest. And I turned around and motioned my wife to come in, and so she did. And there was blood everywhere. It was covered in blood. And um, two doctors and a couple of nurses uh, were working on him, and um, they basically said, um, the, the first ER doc said, uh, um, are you mom and dad? And I, we said, I said, yes. And I went directly to my son and put my hand on his head. His eyes were open, put my hand on his head, and I prayed for him. I prayed for his life. 
And um, everybody stopped. Everybody in the emergency room just stopped. Stopped working. Everything stopped beeping. It was, it was surreal. And I don't know if it actually did or if that's the way that it just seemed like time just slowed down. But I know the nurses and the doctors stopped. And my prayer was 10 seconds probably. I don't know. And after I prayed, um, they kicked back into gear and started working again, started working on him. And um, he'd, he'd already been there probably 15 minutes. Um, and the, the uh, ER doc had said, um, I think as far as it goes right now, we're looking pretty good. And he said, he said, we have a through and through, we have two through and through wounds. And mm-hmm. it was like two through and through when she was shot twice and he showed us the wounds and that's when my wife really just it was hard for her to see it's hard for both of us to see but what's amazing is as my wife began to really be shaken my son looked up at her and said mom it's gonna be okay you know he's the one with bullet holes so he says it's gonna be okay mom so uh and it is it is okay it's been a struggle, but it's okay. He had months and months and months of tough physical therapy that was very painful. Um, he was shot in the chest about an inch and a half from his heart. Wow. The bullet was a hollow point bullet that exploded in his chest, and all the pieces of the bullet escaped under his arm without nicking or damaging or even even doing any kind of damage to his heart, his lungs, wow. blood vessel, artery, nothing. Wow. It was all muscle all through and through, um, and that's just freaking amazing you know that's just a god thing um the bullet that went through his arm hit him above the right wrist and traveled all the way up between the ulna and the radius bone and exited just below his elbow and uh it crushed his median nerve so he lost a lot of use in his right arm and um all the feeling in his right hand for quite some time Mm -hmm. but he works out consistently he continues to um, he's played baseball all the way up through his senior year, just graduated from yeah. the Dunham School. Um, and that's a large part of his rehab and healing has been, you know, coming back and playing baseball. And um, and so he's he's remained active. And the doctors told him he'd never play baseball again. Well, I want you to know he um, was a starting right fielder. He batted three forty five and was named all district in his senior year for baseball. Outstanding. So he beat the odds and he did very well for himself. He is a special kid. Uh, obviously, I know him. Uh, I, I, I met him for the first time not very long after yeah. the shooting. Right. It was, it was the self-defense class. Yeah, so this was a year before last. So yeah. it had to be somewhere around a year, maybe a little. It had to be around a year. Probably about a year after, yeah. And, and then I saw him again <laughs> recently. And I, I'm, I'm not going to tell much of this story. I just, uh, I'll just say that. I was at a place in town called Sky Zone that I didn't know what it was. And turns out it's a room of trampolines. And grown men don't go, no matter what. No matter what they say. Say, how about Disney World instead? <laughs> you, should, you should not. You should not. Chat in 415. Don't go to LA. You know, don't go to the Sky Zone or LA 415. That's right. Uh, accoutrement. No, Sky Zone. So, so, and there's plenty of that at Sky Zone, too. That's exactly Different kind right. Of but, uh, but, but just talking about him, his personality, uh, I, the, the first time I met him, we did the self-defense thing. And it was basically just a group of kids. And it was more about decision-making than martial arts. Yeah. And the kid, no, he's got a presence about him. He's been through a lot. I'm sure mentally and physically he's been to hell and back, but he's never lost direction. He's never lost sight that up is the right direction, you know, moving up, moving forward. But I want to go back to that for just a second and talk about the emotions of the time. Yeah. I know you were angry. Yeah. how angry were you? Some of this is, is revisionist for us because we've had these conversations, just not in this setting, but I want to deal with it. How yeah. angry were you? And then it, it describe the nature of the anger. Um, yeah, I still am. I still am a little really? bit angry. Yeah, I still am a little bit. Um, I was going to ask you about that. The last time, you know, we've known each other long before that. And yeah. you've got this inner rage about you now <laughs> that I do notice. Oh, well, it's the truth. I do notice yeah. it and I do see it that... I didn't really notice before. There's a little bit of, a, of an edge to your personality, not in any bad way, right. but, I, but I could see it. I could see it when you interact with people more so than I ever saw it before. 
Uh, Part of that's just getting old. Right. Well, there is Part a little bit of that. That's why you shouldn't go to Sky Zone. <laughs> that's right. Well, you know, I, you know, I wouldn't say I wouldn't characterize me as an angry person, although I've had my moments. Um, you know, anger comes out in a lot of different ways. It comes yeah. out in, in depression. It can come out in, um, that's right. you know, just uh, distancing yourself. Uh, it doesn't always have to be rage. Right. Um, uh, and I, I think, um, whereas I've always been a very outgoing person, I've always preferred the party over the, you know, the you know, alone on the tr- hill on a tree side kind of a thing. You know, I've never been a loner. I've always gotten energy from other people. As I've grown and hopefully matured a little bit, um, I value my alone time a lot more. And I think a lot of times yeah. that a lot of that is can sometimes be perceived as um, uh, aloofness or, or even depression or something. I don't really think that's the case for me. But, um, you know, I'm angry. I, I hope... Um, let me just say this. The rage in me has subsided considerably. I mean, and we can go back in, you know, years. I mean, you know, I had an interesting growing up. Um, and there, there have been spurts and moments and what my, my wife would call flashes. Um, and they're much more fewer, much more few and farther between now than they've ever been. And so I can see progress. I can relate. Um, That's why I found martial arts to deal yeah. with temper issues, believe it or not. And it yeah. helped a whole lot. No, I completely understand that. Yeah. Um, this incident, though, um, has helped to crystallize for me what happens when you are not responsible for those in your life that you love. And not necessarily in regards to my son and myself. Okay. But I look at a world that is fatherless. I look at a world that has accepted the fact that auntie, it's okay if auntie raises, you know, the little guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I see, you know, you look in our prisons and you see 78% of inmates are fatherless mm-hmm. in some way. And you've got to start drawing some conclusions there. And that makes me angry. Yeah, It makes me angry when responsibility for your actions is not taken. It makes me angry because this is what happens when you when we don't when we pull God out of our schools and we we take uh, we we accept um, lies as the truth and we swallow that hook line and sinker and we try to build our society around falsehoods this is what happens people get out of control and they 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 live in an environment of dominance rather than achievement and yeah. that's what's happened and my son is an innocent victim he was literally a bystander not mm-hmm. involved whatsoever uh, yet he has had to bear the brunt of all that and we're thankful that he's with us and what he has learned and how he's grown through it all is really yet to be seen i think you're right i think he's a very grounded kid i think mm-hmm. he's very stable he's 18 years old He's got a Jeez. great head on his shoulders. I know, isn't that something? Thank you. I <clears throat> yeah. don't don't feel old at all saying that. No, Thank not you. At all. No. He's uh he's got a great head on his shoulder, makes yeah, he does. makes great decisions. He's not perfect. He's nobody he's is. A, he's a goofball. He makes stupid yeah. decisions sometimes too, but that's a most part of being of eighteen too. Yeah. Yeah. And he's characterized by being, you know, a kid that makes great decisions and uh and has um has influenced others toward the same. Yeah. He's got a very rare kind of leadership quality that's not quickly identified. But if you know him, you see that, and what, that's one of the things that come out in him is that people follow him because he leads by example and leads quietly. Have you seen him interact with children at that place? No, I've not seen you him should, at that place. You should go see that. Is it something? To, is, yeah, he, he I mean, it. I mean, he has a way about him. It's I, you're going to be impressed. You'll probably cry a little bit, but you should go see him interact with kids yeah. at that place. I mean, because he's got kids literally jumping off the walls. That's the place. Trampolines. Grown yeah. men don't go there. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but you should go see that. I watched yeah. I, I watched that because I spent a lot of time over in that area because, you know, that's where we were. And, and that's cool. You should go see that. I would love to. Just don't tell him you're go. coming. Yeah. Just, and he won't notice you because... Trust me, he's, he's there's enough busy. going on yeah. to not notice you standing there, but right. it's something to see. Yeah, Let's I'll go back to, to the way that you have, that you feel about this in the aftermath. You said you were angry and you talked about the general mm-hmm. societal anger, but you, your family, mm-hmm. your child, yeah, talk about that. Because I know that I would have been angry as well, probably inconsolably so, that, that there's nothing you could say to me right now. I, I need to just deal with this. Yeah. Because it was a stupid, 
reckless thing to be doing in the first place. Uh, this kind of crap happens a whole lot. Yeah. Every weekend in this town. A 17-year-old kid was killed last night at State Fairgrounds. There you go. I mean, what? So, really? I mean, you know. so talk about that. <clears throat> what conversations did you have? What did you feel? Well, it, at first, it was really just triage and trying to get him through it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was uh, positive, 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 all positive. Um, pump him full of pain meds uh, as needed. But uh, we will we refuse to be a victim. We refuse to play that card. Right. We refused to. He refused to give up. He refused to accept the fact that um, that things have changed in his life. Um, and um, it took about seven months and the final doctor's report from the neurologist to tell him that you'll probably never play baseball because you can't feel in your right hand. Mm-hmm. And, and that means you can't move right. your hand and the motor skills to squeeze a baseball glove. And he refused to believe that, although it, it crushed him. It broke his heart because he had spent from the very beginning, January, all the way through to July, rehabbing and working for the purpose of coming back and playing baseball. And it was really for life. But what he felt as 15 years old was this is about baseball. Mm-hmm. You know? And so uh, he was told basically that seven years of effort is probably not going not gonna to really pay off, or seven months, rather, of effort. And, um, and, you know, he just had a decision to make. Who am I going to believe? I just tr- totally believed that I'm going to do this. And he continued to work out. The doctor did say you're exceptionally strong in that hand. Uh, there's not a whole lot of difference in your right and your left hand, although the right hand is smaller. The right arm is smaller because he lost a good portion of muscle sure, mass, sure, too. Sure, sure, And so um, he said, but you got a lot of strength there, so I'm surprised that there's no feeling. But if we would have seen regeneration in that nerve we would have started to see a little bit by now medically speaking there is there's no reason to expect that that will regenerate now you and i both know caleb that i'm just a doctor god's got this thing and and it's up to him it's dr brian murphy by the way great Mm -hmm. neurologist Mm -hmm. great guy and um and he said you and i both know that i don't control this and neither do you and he said somebody else controls this and so you need to be asking him what the report is not me and uh and he i think Caleb took him to heart and said, uh, you know, I'm going to keep going. And so he made it back and he did very well. I mean, uh, he was, it's, it, it, he doesn't understand this. He doesn't get it, but how special is it for me to see him hit a double in varsity baseball? <laughs> right, right. It's so special for me to see him hit one into the power alley, into the gap and bounce it off the fence when everybody thought he was the skinny little wounded kid, you know, <laughs> because that's the only kid I've ever, I've ever known right. is the kid that can hit it in the power alley, that can hit it, that has the potential of jacking it out of the park. Right. That's the kid that I know. Right. But nobody else has seen that kid because when he was a freshman, right before baseball season is when he got shot. And so he didn't, nobody ever really saw him play, but his coach gave him a shot and he, he, uh, he ended up, uh, it ended up paying off. For him. Yeah. Next 10 minutes or so. I want to come back to the, the you, you talked about the societal, you, your reflection of where society is a fatherless yeah. society. And you and I have both volunteered and, you know, been involved with things here in the community. Mm-hmm. And I really don't have any answers when I look at the six o'clock news. I actually don't watch the 10 o'clock news anymore because I just don't want to see that right before. Right before you go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. I think that'd be the best advice we could give a lot yeah. of people. Although we're in advertising and 10 o'clock news is the highest locally produced. Well, uh, DVR it and just watch the commercials. There you go. DVR and watch. So, yeah. That's good. Go. So, then you, again, you don't want to watch it first thing in the morning either. So it sets you off in a bad mood. No, I don't mind that as much because I don't mind it as much, I guess, because I have an expectation that there's going to be foolishness. Yeah. I'm beyond being the total optimist. I'm optimistic to a point, but hey man, reality is reality. Yeah, yeah. We're on this side of heaven. We're not, this isn't heaven and we shouldn't expect it to be. You you can't expect perfection. Right. But it's like the the talk, everybody talks about millennials, right? Yeah. And most of the talk is negative. And I can't, I tend to push back on that because there is, there are positives to millennials as well. Yeah. So many of them are savvy about business so much earlier in life now. Yeah. They're becoming millionaires. Well, they grew up in the information age. And so they have so much of the technology that's combined with information now. So it's, you know. And as a friend of mine can say, they can hit home runs because so many of them are born on third base. 
Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's no, interesting. Like, well, yeah, well, yeah. You know, you don't have to worry about it. You, you're already halfway through scoring before you hit yeah. the, you know, step up to the plate. So what, what do you think needs to happen? You know, climb up on your soapbox and tell me what can we do to fix some of what's going on in society? That's a huge question. Um, I'll tell you my honest answer. That's kind of what we it's want. It's totally not political. I, Did you forget? Did we I just meet? It, it, <laughs> okay. So what are you saying? Yeah. Um, I, we need Jesus. Mm-hmm. We, we need a big dose of Jesus Christ. And we need to stop watering down the gospel. And we need to tell the truth. And we need to tell it unashamedly. But we need to speak the truth in love. And, um, you know, I put a lot of this squarely on the shoulders of the church. Hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, I'm a member of the church. I'm a part yeah, of the church sure. of Jesus Christ. Sure. I'm, I'm, I, I'm a member, so I'm at fault too. But when we carry the message of life and don't share it, that is a shame. Hmm. And that is embarrassing. What do you mean? Ex- elaborate. Well, if, I'm, if I'm born again, if I have a relationship with Jesus Christ that has changed my life in the way that it has, that got me through the hardest moments of my life, as I described, that's real stuff. That's life-changing stuff. That is, that is, a, that is the stuff that uh, eternity is made of. Yeah. And if I keep that to myself and don't share it, that's not love. That's, and what I'm asking people in our society to do is stop shooting each other, and just love each other. Why can't we just all get No, here's the deal. If I'm not willing to share and to risk what I know to be true, and I'm not willing to do it in love but tell the truth, then I'm just as guilty I'm keeping the I'm I'm keeping the serum to myself, uh, you know. I have the antidote, and I'm not sharing it. How you, wicked is that? Do you think some of the the voice of the church has been either muted or bl- or blocked by some of the so-called leaders that have come and gone in years gone by? You know, stories about some of the pastors or some of the leaders who have done things that end up on the front page of the newspaper. You know, just your thoughts on that. I mean, obviously, that's not everyone. There are thousands of churches across the country, but those stories will always make the A block. Yeah, and they always have yeah. throughout throughout centuries. Yeah. They, they always have. Media now is so prolific that it, it's a lot faster. I mean, they're reality shows for preachers now. Yeah, sure. And and um, you know, the the best preachers I've ever known have been people that are just so genuine. We talked about that in our advertising, and I said it comes comes mostly mm-hmm. from my spiritual life. But I, I really love it when our pastor stands up and says, let me tell you about some area that I'm struggling. And everybody's like, wow, you know, he, he's one of me, you know. And that's really the key. I mean, Christ became one of us. And, and he didn't come to condemn us, you know. He came to save us. And it's interesting to me that we feel like as Christians or as, as moral uh, leaders that we have to be perfect. A lot of it is because we're crucified in the media or in the press when we're not. But th- don't we kind of set ourselves up that way? And instead of approaching people and say, I'm an imperfect leader, but I'm worthy of following, not because of yeah. me, because of the message that I carry, because of the truth that I know. And that's a, a, a good approach. Yeah. If, we, if we get up there and say, it's about me, it's all about me. Make yourself I'm, into a superhero. Yeah. Well, then, of course, yeah. you're setting yourself up for a great fall. Well, n- n- no, no question about it. And, and when I've consulted with or worked with electeds or people trying to run for office, it's like it always the vision always has to be the key. Yeah. And it has to be here is the vision and here is why I'm able to make this hap- happen as opposed to b- becoming a superhero because of the first misstep you have. Right. They're going to they're going to hang you with it. And that's what we see over and over and over now. Any misstatement, any mistake, anything that happens People say, you see, and it's like, why is anybody surprised right. at that? And so why are we surprised when candidates are, are, are total posers? When candidates step up and they become total posers because they don't want to reveal their right. weaknesses. Right. And that's the worst thing that can happen, in my opinion. So back to I the church. I think you. the church, in a lot of ways, is being bullied into, into silence. Um, I think by we're, who? We're, we're, oh, by, by, the, by the general population that may disagree with their point of view. For example, if I come out and I say, I, do, I, I disagree with homosexuality as a lifestyle choice. I don't, I don't agree with homosexuality. I think it's an immoral thing. Then if I were to say that in public, which in some ways I may be now, um, <laughs> if I were to say that in public, a lot of people would call me a hater and a bigot, right? Well, where, where did that come from? I simply have a dissenting opinion. Dissenting opinions now become hateful and bigoted. Why? 
Well, that's bully tactics to me. Hmm. That's a bully tactic to get me to shut up because it has the ring of truth to it. And if you can't defend the ring of truth with something else that's true, you resort to bully tactics. What is your uh, what is your opinion then? Because the Supreme Court, I guess, within the next few days are going to come down with a decision on, you know, the definition of marriage, which is basically what it is. We have DOMAs or defensive marriage acts in, in states around the country. Some have been upheld. Some have been kind of struck down. Right. Uh, my suspicion is that they're going they're they're going to kill all of these uh, defensive marriage acts like we have here. Right. In Louisiana. What do you think about that? I think it's a tragedy. I think we've lost our grip on reality. I think we've gotten so deeply into the minutia of the of the uh, um the, the letter of the law and the constitutional realities of fairness and equality, and we're afraid to hurt other people's feelings or to disenfranchise people. And it all started with the hanging chads back in, you know, 2000. Thank you. That was the, that was, that's not when it started, but that was uh, the really first example of um, the division that mm-hmm. I, that you feel and sense today, in my opinion. But um, it's, it's, it's it's a shame if we if the Supreme Court rules that you can pretty much just marry anybody. I mean, it's this whole Caitlyn Jenner, Bruce Jenner thing. It's just a, it's the craziest thing. No common sense person I know should come to that kind of conclusion that it's okay and to justify quote becoming a woman when your chromosomal makeup doesn't show it. And I know there are people that are going to say, oh, well, look at the genetic propensity and all there's certain genes. To the man. Look, it's pretty obvious, okay? It's pretty obvious where you were created to be, how you were created, that, you know, God created the male and female, et cetera. I understand if you don't believe that, but even if you don't believe the Bible, look at common sense. It just, we have abandoned common sense in favor of feeling good. Why is it that... When these kinds of discussions come up, for the most part, they break down into an argument or maybe even a Donnybrook or let's use a younger, more modern term. A fight breaks out. Yeah. And you you rarely hear the discussions about, quote unquote, controversial issues in media anymore because it's it's gassed up like pro wrestling. Now, it's not just people sitting down having a conversation. Right. And uh, and it's frustrating and it runs people away. I think reasonable people can disagree about issues without it having to become a fist fight. That's a really, that's a really good way of looking at it. When my, you know, if you see two adults arguing uh, and screaming and throwing things at each other, your tendency is to get out of the way, yeah. right? Yeah. Get out of the room, get right. out of the way. Yeah. It's, it, I don't want to be around that. Everybody uncomfortable. Absolutely. Uh, nobody wants to be a part of it. Right. So that's kind of what's happened. Right. Instead of having good civil discourse and saying, mm-hmm. you know, I have a different perspective and let me share that with you. And then if it gets into name calling and all that kind of stuff, somebody needs to come in and referee that saying, wait, time out. I understand your Let's passion. Let's stay on but, issue. But you can't do that right. here. That's not, that's not, if you, if you're not capable of loving the person sitting across the desk, holding a different opinion, or at least using terminology that's mm-hmm. civil, then you don't need to be in that chair. So how about this? We become, everybody, I, I say train wreck society because people like to see a train wreck. Right. Not, you know, figuratively speaking. Sure. So much so that there is a multi-billion dollar industry called reality television now that has yeah. taken over well, they, mass media. That's because people prefer the train wreck over the truth. Right. And so you, you inst- I, like, I don't watch reality TV shows, right? Unless you're talking about oh, sports. I know about your secret honey boo-boo stash. <laughs> I know about that. Just, I thought we agreed you weren't going to talk about that. Now here you come sit on the show and just I'm put sorry. all of my business out there. Saying, honey boo boo. I didn't know what the hell. When I used to hear people I, say honey boo boo. And it's like, what is honey boo boo? And then I found out what honey boo boo. It's a TV show. And is, is, it, yeah. is it still on television? I I think Honey Boo Boo's stepdaddy got arrested for child something or nothing. Okay, so. all right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Well, where were they filming that from? Oh, I do have. I was. I'm a hypocrite. There is one I watch. I enjoy Swamp People. Swamp People. I love yeah. me some Troy Landry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah it just seems cool like he's stuff. a good guy. But what? Where was Honey Boo Boo? Is that Louisiana? Georgia, I think. Ah, I think that was Georgia. Georgia. Well, well. Okay, so we blame it on Georgia. I don't know. <laughs> you know, generally speaking, uh, Denham Springs. I don't know. Let's see. <laughs> And I say that lovingly because some very, some very close friends of mine are from Dennis Springs. Yeah, he's backtracking that's you, now. That's, that's for you, JP. <laughs> that was for you, JP. So, so, so 
JP know, is a fine radiologist. That's a, absolutely, he's a absolutely. He's a great I'll give you one more time to suck up there. That's, that's right. right. <laughs> so accoutrement. So, uh, so, so uh, I, I hear you about the about the discussions and people not being able to sit down and disagree without right. being disagreeable, as the saying goes. Yeah. It's not getting any better, man. I I could see the day when there is a fist fight on the floor of Congress. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. I see. I mean, it happens in Japan all the time. All the time. Uh, and and those, man, they're not. Those are not tickle fights. YouTube video you'll Holy see. Holy cow! Yeah, no, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty ridiculous. And and it's because people have uh, the issues that we're discussing are issues. They're issues about people's bedroom. And it, it's just a little aside. Isn't it interesting that twenty years ago homosexuals were saying, "Stay out of my bedroom." Now they're inviting us in, wanting us to take pictures. It's very interesting to me how. The whole, they used to say, hey, don't ask, don't tell. Stay out of my bedroom. It's none of your business. Now it's like, not only is it none of your business, we want you to think like we think. And when you don't, we're going to ostracize you, chastise you, and bully you. Uh, I don't know if you've watched ABC Family or anything on ABC no. Family lately. No. Good, don't. Um, uh, every, now Why? And then every now and then they'll show a really good movie, and the commercials are interesting. I'll tell you, this is this, The Fosters, the TV show The Fosters. I hope Never I'm, heard of it. Okay, well, it's an ABC Family show. Yeah. That's the name of the network now, ABC Family. Okay. I, I don't know how old the kid is. He's a, a male kid, probably 12, 13 years old. He's in a homosexual relationship with a 15, 16-year-old boy on that show, as, as, as best as I can tell from watching the commercials. He's an adult? No, he's 13. Oh, you say there are two kids. Two okay. kids. All right. And uh, the older kid kind of, uh, you know, I, I think from the commercial, I didn't watch the show, but just from the commercial, so I'm speaking somewhat out of ignorance. So it, it, there's a homosexual couple, two women, raising some kids, and then there's this boy who was, you know, what 13-year-old isn't sexually confused? And he claims he's sexually confused, and now he has this relationship with an older homosexual boy. And now the latest episode is the big drama. You know what the big drama point of the show is? He went to a shooting range. <gasps> he went to a gun range. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that scary? Welcome to America, Clay. That's the new America. That's where we're living. Because some idiot, some deranged asshole, pardon my French. No, it's a podcast. Went into a <laughs> church can, can and that. shot up a bunch of God-fearing, loving oh, Christian my. people. Sat there in for a an Bible hour. Study. Guy's totally off his rocker. And, and we're talking gun control? Now, I understand. Okay, I get it. When, when, a, when, a, when a train goes off the tracks, you want to do a little investigation as soon as possible to keep sure. it from happening again. Sure. I get that. But the way our president has turned this into an issue that's a meet, that meets with his agenda is a shame. Um, this and, is not a gun control issue, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think we jump to that all the time. If you ban guns, the criminals will still have them. Would my when, son have been shot if guns were banned in Baton Rouge? Yes. Probably. Yeah. I, I can't say for sure what if. It, but the I likelihood is still there. Because he's a criminal. He's a criminal, he, and he had a gun because right. he's a part of a gang. So prohibition was a move by the country because of morals, getting alcohol. Yeah. Uh, and then the government kind of wink, wink, knew what was happening with alcohol because the criminal yeah. still got a hold of it, right? Right, right. So the same is going to happen with guns. First of all, it's a constitutional right. Yeah. If a person doesn't have those issues going on inside them, they're not interested in going into a church and murdering people. Right. It could have been a knife, could have been a bomb, God forbid, but yeah. it could have been that. It had nothing to do with that. And, and I think we don't want to deal with, the, the issue is that this kid had issues right. and the people around him have issues. Which goes back to our earlier conversation. The problem is that we're fatherless. We're not in touch with our own children. Well, he had a father. His father just happened to be a douchebag. Yeah. I don't know anything about that whole situation. Well, his father bought the gun and gave it to him. And which there are fathers who do that all the time with their sons. So I'm not denigrating fathers who, but I'm saying you're feeding this poison to this kid mentally, you know. The problem wasn't the gun. It was the hands that he put it into. That's exactly right. So, um, you know, I, you know, I grew up in Texas. Everybody had a gun. We had BB gun wars as kids. Yeah. I, mean, well, what, I did that did. here. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so, I mean, it was just, that's the way you did it. And there was never. 
no. question, never a problem. No. Something else has changed. It's not yeah. the proliferation of guns. No. Something else has changed. And I believe that it's the standards by which kids are being raised. When you let television raise your kids, you got a problem. When you or let video them, games. When you let video games raise your kids, you have a problem. Some kids look at and they, the lines of reality are blurred. They just don't have, they're not grounded. They don't understand the difference between right and wrong. Um, and they don't, they certainly don't respect the consequences because on the other end of the there spectrum, are no consequences. On, that's right. On the other end of the spectrum, we, we bail our kids out. We don't let them struggle. We don't let them go through hard times. They don't by, by age 18, they don't understand what it's like to say to, to have been told no. And when that happens, that's one of my favorite words. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm learning how to use it more and more every day. Yeah. You know, so. I just, I just feel like you you suffer now so you could win later. <laughs> Yeah. And that's that's the truth about life. You do the hard stuff early so that you can do the stuff you want to do later on. Right. And consequences are a part of life. Been it just it just is. But you're right, kids are not used to being told no. And my attitude is I don't care how upset you get. Yeah. Well, somebody, somebody in this relationship has to be the parent. Yeah. Well, and, that's a whole other thing there. Yeah. So is, I got to get you to come back and do the show again. I'd love to. It'd you know be, we've been talking for over an hour here and uh Wow. It's uh, been over an hour. It feels like 10 minutes. Yeah, I don't think you mentioned it was the brand professor. The brand professor.com. That's my blog. Yeah. I know. Thanks for bringing that up. Appreciate that. Yeah. The brand professor.com. That's right. I'm I just write for you. Brother. I just write on stuff that I, that I know and uh, that, you know, I was told by a very wise person, Sue Miley. She said, if, if there's anything that you can write on endlessly and just keep writing and never run out of material out of your own brain, you should be doing it. I just sit down and I write probably once or twice a month. Yeah. I need to increase that because I have too many thoughts. Most of them are ridiculous. But I trash about a uh, half or a third of the blogs that I write. Some of it's just well, those are the ones I want. I probably yeah. Want well, to some see of those. it's therapeutic. Um, you know, with a lot of accoutrement and LA four fifteen. <laughs> but accoutrement. Thanks for having me. It's been uh, a lot of fun. David Day it. with the Day Group here in Baton Rouge. What's your website? Um. TheBrandProfessor.com. I don't. I don't think you mentioned it, blog. so I just. I just That's wanted the blog to. site. The website is thedaygroup.com. Okay. But yeah, you can get there either way. All right. Thanks for listening to the show this week, guys. Don't forget, you can catch us always every Thursday, iTunes and on podcast 225com You can follow me on Twitter at ClayYoungBR or on Facebook backslash ClayYoung. Look forward to hearing your feedback on this week's show. Until the next time, have a great one. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.